Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Okay, gentlemen. Excited to be here tonight, uh, really am with all of you to gather around the Word and to hear from the Lord. So the way this is going to go, we're going to do four sessions over the next couple days, and uh, we'll do one tonight, we'll do one tomorrow when we get on the river uh, during the morning time, and then one in the evening, and then we'll finish up on Thursday morning. And the sermon, the sermons are all going to go with a theme, or not the sermons, but the talks, whatever you want to call them, we're going to go with the theme, the manly pastor. Okay, so what is the manly pastor, and what are we talking about here this first sermon title is The Authority of the Word and the Courage of the Pastor. And so we're going to specifically talk about masculinity, about femininity, and specifically how to pastor that into your people and pastor that out of your people. Okay, so the sermon title tomorrow is Pastoring Men, and then the one tomorrow evening is Pastoring Women, and then the final one is going to be courage, Manly Courage to Endure in Season and Out of Season Ministry. Okay, so we're going to be laying the foundation here today, this evening, for where we're going with all, with all of this. Hopefully it will be clear. And then at the end, I'd love for some discussion. We can talk. If we want to break up into small groups, talk about it, that can, that can happen. Or if we just want to talk in a big group, that can happen as well. But tonight, the authority of the Word and the courage of the pastor. We're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through chapter 4, verse 4. And this is the Word of the Lord. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped or may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching." For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have inching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. The authority of the word and the courage of the pastor. Liberalism in every denominational history and in every society across the world, liberalism always starts with not big questions, not massive ideas about the scriptures and how we interpret them. Liberalism always starts with a little seed called, called embarrassment. Called embarrassment. It's a disbelief that all scripture is breathed out by God and that all scripture is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for reproof, for all of those things. It's, it's a belief that there are some things that are profitable in the scriptures for some people, but then there are other things that are not profitable for people. So liberalism starts with question marks in the mind and the heart of the pastor. Really? Do I really need to say that to this particular audience? Is that necessary? Is that going to cause more division? Or is that going to actually be for the good of the hearers? And so we we think about passages, biblical passages that come up 
regardless of what they are, we think, okay, that's not necessarily as profitable as other passages. And so we start going through a Rolodex of passages in our, in our mind. And liberalism always starts with embarrassment. And one of the first places that pastors and congregations, this is across the board, you can take this to the bank, you can look at it in, in, throughout church history. One of the first places pastors and congregations are embarrassed about in the scriptures is in the area of gender. It's just across the board, it's the area of gender. You can go back, it's not just the last 120 years, it goes back well into church history, the issue about manhood and womanhood. And one of the reasons I think this is so crucial is we see gender bestowed upon humanity, that humanity is not just created as an asexual human being. We're created, what it means to be human is very much to be engendered. It's to be male and female. And so when there's confusion about creation, the created order, you're going to see confusion around creation itself and in society itself. When there's confusion about what it means to be made in God's image, then it has ramifications that just go down through everything. The ripple effects just go into everything we see. And we see that in our society today. And here's the deal. Many pastors, even complementarian pastors, okay, and I'm going to challenge us here and challenge myself. Uh, many pastors are terrified, absolutely terrified of women. Terrified. Absolutely terrified. Even complimentary, complimentarian pastors, and many pastors lack courage to actually believe in this crucial area, to actually believe 2 Timothy chapter 3, the end of chapter 3, into chapter 4. And we live in a day, get this, that finds it more offensive that a woman would be barefoot and in the kitchen than we are a woman on the front lines getting blown up for her country. Let me say that again. And I'm going to say some things over the next couple of days that are going to sound odd to your ears and three years ago would have sounded odd to my ears. Okay? Uh, that's going to sound sexist. It's going to sound just bizarre. But we live in a day that finds it more offensive that a woman would be in the kitchen and barefoot than we are that a woman would be on the front lines getting killed for our country. And somehow we call that progress. We call progress a woman being able to take off her clothes at the Super Bowl, halftime Super Bowl, we call progress the fact that a woman can finally get blown up by a grenade in the place of a man. And then we find it absolutely offensive, horrific, that a woman would decide to stay home and make her primary calling, not exclusive, I'm not making the statement that it's 100%, and I'm not talking about, we just, when, in the areas of gender, we don't want to go there. And we find it far more liberating to say, woman, go be exploded, get your head blown off, then we are saying, look at the beauty of a woman in the kitchen barefoot. Because we've got a stigma about that in our society. We've effectively, we've effectively been trained up into the pastoral office about what is and what isn't appropriate in a society to say to male and females. We've been socially conditioned. I think it's been over a very long time, and I think the church has lost its way as we look at society losing its way in so many different ways, we have to ask the question, okay, what, in what ways is this downstream from where the church has been? Where has the church lost its prophetic voice in society? Where have we been embarrassed? Where have we been uh, too afraid to speak into a particular issue? Where have we, where we said, well, it's just not worth the fight? And when we look at where we're at and we look at the scriptures and we're able to see, okay, wait a minute, maybe we lost our way in some pretty key categories, categories that have to do with being made in the image of God. And maybe we've acted like things that are central and core to being human aren't really that big of a deal. And I think 
not just churches. I think pastors have lost their way. And I think that Eden continues to be repackaged uh, over and over again in each generation to where each generation is saying, okay, wait, did, did, okay, did God really say it this way? Did God really order it this way? Did God really design it this way? And so gender confusion starts in pulpits before it starts in teenager. Gender confusion starts way, way, way long time ago before we see a teenager not knowing whether they're a male or a female, not knowing if they're gay or straight. It started with pastors losing the ability and losing the courage to say what the Bible plainly says. And in large part, I think that men, because of several different factors in society, have simply been terrified of women. And because of that, women have been starved of the truth of the scriptures for a very long time because we just don't want to go there. And men have been paralyzed because of their fear. To get gender wrong is to get the image of God wrong. And many pastors and churches that just don't, I'm not going to touch it with a 10-foot pole, a 100-foot pole, a mile-long pole. We're just not going to go there. No big deal. Okay? So do we really believe 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? I'm going to read it again. Do we really believe this? All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Do we actually, practically, believe that? Not theoretically, not doctrinally in a statement. Practically, week in, week out, in both our preaching and discipleship, in our counseling and our care, do we actually believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable? All of it. All, every bit of it. Every dot, every exclamation point, every word, New Testament and Old, it's all profitable for teaching, even the controversial stuff. It's, it's profitable for reproof, for correction, for training or building up in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. So there's the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture right there. Okay? And for the more charismatic-leaning folks in the room on the beach, uh, if we can't agree that... Here's the deal. If you never get a subjective word from the Holy Spirit ever, okay, ever, you have everything in this book right here to be equipped for every good work that God would call you to do. And our people need to know that. It doesn't mean we don't ever hear the subjective voice of the Spirit leading us in this direction or that direction. It doesn't mean that we don't ever get an overwhelming sense of, I know God wants me to do this. But the Scriptures are sufficient for everything we need. The sufficiency of Scripture. So, because that is true, Paul commissions Timothy and you can almost see him. He talk. He says. He says to Timothy in, in First Timothy. He says, "Don't let, let anybody look down on you because you are young, because there are people in Ephesus that look at Timothy as a young buck." But in chapter five, he addresses Timothy as a man. But but for you, as for you, O man of God, Paul called out the manhood of Timothy, and he recognized that he's not just a little boy. He's a man, and so he tells Timothy, "Preach the word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ." Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, in light of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Now, you've heard this statement before, but I think it, it bears being repeated often. There is a big difference between using the Bible to preach a sermon and preaching the Bible. Okay? There's a big difference there. I mentioned this to our church on Sunday morning. There's a huge difference between using the Bible to preach a sermon, what you call a sermon, and preaching the Bible as authoritative. So in a sermon, if there's a bunch of different texts and they kind of seem to go together, but you sit back and say, I have no idea how he got that. 
most likely he's using the Bible to preach and not preaching the word. If you're preaching the word, everybody in the congregation is like, oh, I could have got that without him. I don't have to get that. I don't need to be some special superhuman biblical interpreter to be able to preach or understand that text because he just told me and I just saw it there. It's pretty simple. The secret sauce to preaching is just say what it says. Like, it's just really simple. Where everybody there is like, oh, yeah, it was right there, hidden in plain sight. We shouldn't be walking away from our sermons and everybody saying like, I would have never gotten that in a million years. Like, well, that's odd because... We're wanting to preach the word, and if we're preaching the word, everybody will be able to say, I see where they got, I see where he gets that. It's right there. So preach the word. In season and out of season. That's where we're going to end this whole thing is manly courage in season and out of season. We're going to look at Jeremiah and Nehemiah. And we're going to identify a Jeremiah ministry and a Nehemiah ministry. Okay, so Nehemiah ministers and there's in, in Ezra and there's this massive revival and people are like hanging on the edge of their seats. I want the word. I want the word. Bring it. Bring it. Bring it. Jeremiah gives the word after the people say, "You tell me whatever God says and we'll do it." As soon as he say it, says it, the next words out of their mouth are, "We will not listen to you." Okay. Like, so we're going to finish with in-season and out-of-season ministry. But here's the deal. The Word has the authority, and we are to preach it. So we are never to, ever, ever, ever to avoid or apologize for what the Bible has to say. We shouldn't ever say it with a stutter, unless we stutter. And if you're a stutterer, that's fine. But we shouldn't ever say it with a stutter because we're nervous or scared. Or we're embarrassed, or we wish, God, I wish you would say that in a little bit better way, a way that makes more sense to modern sensibility and modern ears. Please just speak in a clearer way. And preachers all across the land try to make this fit into 2020 America rather than saying 2020 America, repent and look like this. And so we try to polish it and clean it up enough to where people in the United States are like, oh, I get it now. I understand it now. Rather than saying, look, this is how life is. This is how reality is. And if you're not in line with this, then you need to repent and obey and honor God. But instead, it's just this, this polishing work. If I can just show people how wonderful, how relevant, how, how beautiful this is, and all those things are true. It is wonderful. It is beautiful. It is relevant. But the point of emphasis is, I'm scared, many are scared, so I'm going to make it as relevant as possible to make them receive it better okay so we need courage we need courage so how does this apply to our theme the manly pastor okay we're going to talk a few things about gender here uh, specifically and then i want to bring a quote first by c.s lewis and here's what he says about courage courage is not simply one of the virtues not simply one of the verses. And this issue about gender, again, is so crucial. It's not peripheral. It's crucial to everything we do in the life of the church and everything we do when we teach our family, when we teach our children or grandchildren, we have grandchildren. It's crucial and it's never going away. We have to get this gender thing right. And pastors have to lead in this for things to be right in the communities in which we live, like the church communities that we live. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. Courage is not simply one of the virtues. Okay, think through this with me. We have virtues, okay? You can go through a virtues list. Ben Franklin's virtue book, we could look through, and you probably have read that or at least have it with the strenuous life. Okay, maybe not, just kidding. Um, but we think about virtues, okay? I'm, 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 I want to be a man of honor, a man of, I want to be courageous, you know, all these different things. And courage is this unique thing because it says courage isn't simply one in the list of virtues, but it's the form of every virtue at the testing point. So when you have any virtue that we could talk about, okay, um, any of the fruit of the Spirit, 
Okay, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Okay, any of those points. Now, at the point of self-control, when we're, when somebody is courage, is controlling yourself through the power of the Holy Spirit when you feel like you're going to lose your mind. Courage is the virtue that's at the testing point, wherever the testing point is. Courage is the ability to walk in obedience courageously when I feel like blowing up. Courage. It's not one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. And here's the challenge that I want you guys to hear as we start this whole thing. Do you have courage? Do I have courage to say what God has to say unapologetically? Without saying, I'm sorry, without a million caveats, guys, this is just the way it is. Homosexuality is wrong. I know there's a lot of beautiful things that can come from monogamous relationships between same-sex couples. And there's so many glorious things that can come. So many things we can learn from same-sex couples who are committed to one another. Um, but it's just not God's best way. Okay? Now, the opposite isn't God hates queers. I mean, that, the opposite isn't saying horrific, unbiblical, unloving things. That's not the opposite. That's not, that's not what the, the pendulum swing back and forth is. Okay? But are we, are we courageous enough to say what God has to say in His Word? Okay? Here's what Luke chapter 9, verse 16. This had a profound impact on me a couple years ago. Um, okay. Uh, the bottom of my shoes are probably all melted right now because I've been stomping all over these coals. Um, about a year and a half ago, I preached this sermon at our church, and, and you guys, Tyler and, and Ryan, Andy, all the Christ Church people may remember this. Before we started preaching Romans, we did like four or five standalone sermons, and we preached Luke 9, and this just so affected me. And here's what Jesus says in Luke 9, 26, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. Ashamed when he comes in his glory. That's... Uh, pretty profound statement. In other words, we could kind of understand that to say um, Christians don't have the option to be embarrassed about what God has to say. It's not, an, it's not an option on the list for a Christian to walk in. It's just not there. We don't get to be embarrassed or ashamed. When God speaks, we say, that's good, that's right. Not, I'm sorry, to a watching world. Now, this is going to be a challenge for for us, I believe. Do we have the courage to say what God has to say unapologetically? Now, I'm going to just read a few Bible verses, and I want you to ask, when is the last time these have una- I, that I have personally heard or preached these unapologetically to a church? These have to do with gender, both male and female, okay? When's the last time I've said this? Or if you're thinking as you're, I'm reading these passages, what if there's a room full of women or a room full of of people who deal with same-sex attraction or homosexual desires? What if there's a room full of, of men here that we're not doing what God has called them to do? And would I be able to say what this has to say? Because this is a company of peers here. Like, I can say a lot of things and, and feel pretty confident that you guys aren't going to throw rocks at me or anything like that. But what about those five women in your church? The five women in your church that you know, you know when you read these texts, these five women are going to be like, Oh my gosh, did he just say that? You know what I mean? You have five women at your church, at least, that you're terrified of. I hope you're not terrified of them, but you know the women I'm talking about, okay? You have guys in your church that you just would rather avoid. You just don't want to speak to it. But here's the thing. I think men 
have long found it easier to speak to men and simply avoid women. I'm not going to pastor women from the pulpit. I'm not going to preach to them. I'm not going to say anything God has to say to them because I'm absolutely terrified. And so the, one of the number one ways churches are embarrassed of, God's, of the word has to do with what God has to, says to women, which leads women to be spiritually starved to hear what God has to say to them. Let me just read some of these verses. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Let's just uh, start with Genesis 1, 27. Male and female, he created them. That's binary. Male and female. That male and female are created in the image of God. Both created equal in the image of God and gendered. So they're not created equal, but they're really, really different. They're created equal and, and male and female. Male and female is what it takes to create mankind. And mankind, that word mankind, over humankind, by the way, is really crucial. Mankind is crucial because that's God's definition of what humanity is. Mankind. That's the name that he assigned to you and I, to women, to all of human beings, is mankind. And humankind, as we say humankind, and we say, well, why does that matter? Because humankind gets so caught up in the, like, the lips and the mouths of people that we get into, uh, okay, that's culturally appropriate to say, God, what you call mankind is not culturally appropriate to say. God calls mankind mankind, not humankind. It's, th- those kind of things matter. Why do, why do so many people call mankind humankind? Just what's the real reason behind that? Inclusion. In, in, inclusive ideas. Culturally conditioned to say what is acceptable to the masses. I, I want to say humankind. And some of us, we may even know it, that's just what we say. It just is the, it's just what we say. We don't say mankind. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory. Male and female. So male and female, egalitarians are so... Egalitarians, while fighting for while fighting for equality, okay? Feminists, while fighting for equality, have so stripped the dignity away of male and female because they have nothing to say what a male and female is. What is a male and female? So a female becomes somebody who just uh, can do all that a man does and be all that a man is. That's just all that it means to be a female. You can be and do all that a man is and does. But biblical theology, forget the word complementarianism, who cares about that? The Bible says that males and females, male and female, are created in God's image, and not just they're created fully equal and bestow dignity of male and female. And both the male and female in the scriptures then are commissioned to do certain, certain things. Sometimes God commissions mankind to do certain things, so the male and female, so bear fruit and multiply, that's a male-female command. Sometimes God commissions the man to do something and commissions the woman to do something else and then prohibits the man from doing something and prohibits the woman from doing something else. And I don't know about you guys, but if I, as a man, I want to know everything that God has commissioned me to do and prohibited me from doing. And I don't in any way, if God tells me not to do something, I'm not going to think, well, that's demeaning. But we do that with women all the time. We say, well, that, why, oh just because they don't have the right body parts. That, that's the narrative. Read these verses. Hear these verses. Deuteronomy 22.5 A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. 1 Corinthians 7.9 Do not be deceived. 
Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 11, 14. Does not nature itself teach you that a man wears long hair, that if, if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him, as I stuttered the verse. Uh, it is a disgrace for him. But if a woman wears long hair, it is for her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. 1 Corinthians 14, 33-35. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Important note, the reason he had to say act like men is because they didn't know how to. They weren't doing a good job at it it in Corinth. That's what 1 Corinthians 11 is all about, is gender confusion. The men were were wearing and dressing externally. They were looking like women, and the women were, were, were dressing and looking externally like men, and they didn't see the big deal. They were struggling with homosexuality. They celebrated a man sleeping with his, hus- with his father's wife. It was such a sexually confused city, so much so that Paul had to say, hey, would you just act like men? Act like men. Because they didn't know how. They weren't. They were acting like women. And women were acting like men. 1 Timothy, or excuse me, uh, Ephesians 5, 22-25, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything, submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's so much there, men. Like there's particular redemption there. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The special love, not general love. God didn't tell uh, husbands to love their wives the way they love all women. God does not love everybody the same way. The ground for husband love to the wife is the special love that Jesus has for his bride. We should love our wives as Christ loves his bride. Does he love the world? Well, yes, of course, but not the same way he does as the church. And I've said this to our church on multiple occasions and, and about my wife. If I said, honey, I love you and I love every woman just the same as I love you. There's a particularness about the love that Jesus has for his bride that the husband is to demonstrate day in and day out in the home to his wife. It's particular, it's special, it's unique. The wife is to submit to her husband in everything. There's no buts here. There's no like there's no apologies here. The husband is to, the wife is to submit to her husband. That's a really good thing. That's not demeaning. It's just this is what God says. That's absolutely just clear. 1 Timothy 2, 11-14, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. In the third sermon, I'm going to talk about pastoring women. We're going to talk about feminine sins and masculine sins. If we don't understand the difference between speaking to what women are prone to sin in and what men are prone to, sp- to sin in, we'll spend all our, we'll just spin our wheels just speaking about, we'll again, address an asexual humanity and we'll miss being able to specifically speak to men and women because God does. God specifically speaks to men and women. And women here, we're found, are more prone to deception than men. It doesn't mean that all men, that no man has ever been deceived. It doesn't mean that all women are not are not discerning, but it does mean that women 
are more easily prone to deception than men. That's why women's ministries, they're horrific if they're all just led by women. By and large, most women's ministries are theologically an absolute train, train wreck. They just are. They're going to run around talking about being princesses, and they're going to. And all of this sounds so foreign. It sounds so foreign to our ears about what. As we're thinking about this, what do you mean eat more prone to deception? That doesn't fit in with the modern narrative. It doesn't fit in with what we've been taught. It doesn't fit in with what seems right. First Timothy five eight. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his whole household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If a man does not provide for his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than the unbeliever. We have no category for what it means to be worse than an unbeliever except for a man who doesn't provide for his family. That's speaking specifically to men. It's not speaking, these, these things are gender specific expectations that are put upon it. Okay, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse uh, 2 through 5. Older men are to be sober-minded. So, let me just ask you a question. When God is speaking to older men, is he speaking to older men or younger men? Older men. It's pretty, pretty simple, right? When he's speaking to younger men, is he speaking to younger men or older men? Okay, when he's speaking to women, is he speaking to women or is he speaking to men? When he's speaking to men, is he speaking to women or is he speaking to men? Men. But here's what egalitarianism, sameness says. Okay, Egalitarian says, whatever God says to a man, he's saying to a woman. Whatever God says to a woman, he's saying to a man. Whatever God say, says to a child, he's saying to an adult. Whatever God says to this or that, it, it seeks to flatten everything out and just saying, we're all following Christ here. Just follow Christ. We're all supposed to be Christ followers. Just, that's, that's the commandment to everybody, man, woman, child, boy, and girl. But God says things differently. He says specific things. And friends, I'm telling you, the path to liberalism starts with internally just like, <gasps> if I read these out loud to my church, not even preached on it, just read these out loud, I know the people in my church that would just be like, <sighs> okay? Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in the faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to too much wine. Uh, uh, okay, um, generally speaking, when men struggle with alcoholism, they don't struggle with it with wine. It's spirits, it's, it's heavy drink, it's, it's whiskey, it's a lot of beer. It's generally not wine. When women struggle with alcoholism, this is a gender-specific thing. Older women teaching younger women, don't be, don't be drinking too much wine. A temptation to women more is not, I'm going to pull out the whiskey. And again, it doesn't mean that there's not a single woman who's never been an alcoholic without pulling out a, a, you know, a, a fifth of Jack. Okay, But generally speaking, this is specific here. That there's going to be a prone, there's, there's a proneness in women, in younger women, if they're going to be drinking too much, it's going to be with wine. It's going to be with Boone's Farm, unless they have more money, okay? Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to too much wine. They're to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. That the word of God may not be reviled. And friends, there are ladies that are starved all across this land and, and globe 
for what God says to them. They've never heard it or, it's, or, or pastors have stood up and apologized for what God says to them because they don't have the backbone to say it. And women have been living as if they're men for, for a very long time everywhere because we're just terrified. Just say what it says to men and women. This is the core of what it means to be human. Male and female. 1 Peter 3, 1-7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they will be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. How powerful is the conduct of a godly woman? This is not impotence rolling over to be mistreated and continue just to mistreat me. This is power on display. When a woman is stepping up into her womanhood, it has power in the home. Now clearly, it needs to be stated, because that's the day we live in, if a woman is being harmed by a man, she needs to call authorities to, perspe- to, to protect herself, protect her children. She needs to talk to the elders of the church. The, all those things need to be done. It's not, that's, to be a helper is not to be an enabler. In other words, to give somebody grace doesn't enable them to do more sin. To give somebody grace should effectively, in that person, help them be more and more Christ-like. It's to aim at grace, aims at godliness, not an enablement. That they may be won without the word by the conduct of their wives when they see the respect, your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair or the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. These are precious things that a woman needs to hear and that men need to hear. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now let's just think about that. How well does that play? in a mixed gender conference somewhere, just standing up to preach God's word. How easy would it be to stand up in a conference about marriage, for instance, and avoid that one? And the reason I'm avoiding it is because I know that it's not gonna be well received. Okay, there's the root of liberalism right there. That's it. And if we're gonna be courageous men We're going to have to have the courage over the long haul to really believe 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's profitable. It's profitable. Or we just have to say it's not all profitable. It's just confusing and it's condemning to people and it really just makes people cry. For this is how the... uh, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you, do, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. That's an amazing woman. Doesn't fear anything that's frightening. A lot of these, I remember preaching Proverbs 31 um, years ago. And I preached a four-part series when I was single and Jordan was actually there. And through preaching that, I remember thinking like, man, she's got a lot of these characteristics in Proverbs 31. This is a godly woman. When you see a biblical woman, when, you're, when your wife is obeying God and isn't scared of what God has to say, say, say to her, and you've seen this in your own wives, it's an amazing thing. When our wives, who we, we, we are one flesh with them, when our, when our wives are resistant to God's word, things don't go well. When we're resistant to God's word as the leader in the home, things don't go well. 
When we obey God and honor God by saying, yes, God, whatever you have for me, I want to do it. You tell me what to do and don't do. And whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do by your grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you tell me to not do something, what's the big deal that you tell me not to do something? And then the issue in the local church, we see this in, with soft complementarianism in, in SBC life. Uh, like, what's the big deal that God has said for women to not preach? Like, what's the big deal? Like, why is that a big deal, honestly? Like, what's the big deal? That God would say, don't do something. The big deal is our society. That's the big deal. But honestly, what's the big deal that God would say, hey man, you do this and don't do this. Hey woman, you do this and don't do this. What is the big deal? Like, why don't we say, oh, okay. All right, sounds good. Let's move on. Whatever you say, God. It's because Eden gets replayed over and over in the minds and the hearts of men and women throughout our churches, not just the world, throughout our churches that ends up being denied downstream in society and culture. Like it, it just, it just, it just goes, it's just the same thing. Really? Did God say that? And did he really mean that? Really? Eve, you know better. And Eve's daughters have been knowing better ever since. And Adams have been standing by ever since, just watching them be deceived and just say, I just don't want her to be upset. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Now, this is two-sided, showing honor to her. Okay, I'm going to honor her as the weaker vessel, as the weaker vessel. She is physically weaker than you, and she's emotionally weaker, weaker than you. This is, this is Adam and Eve we're talking about in generalities here. There are some men that are emotionally weaker than their wives and some women that are emotionally stronger than their husbands. And if that's you, this is, that's not just an anomaly here. The Bible speaks in broad strokes, okay? The Bible says, like in Titus, all Cretans are liars and drunkards. And, you know, everybody's like, really, God, all of them? All of them? I know a Cretan, third street down, he's not a drunkard and he's not a liar, because we all want, we're all thinking, every, every today is like, not all creations, God. And God's like, no, all of them. Every one of them. He makes generalities. And here, we can make generalities to say that women are physically weaker. Just to say that, just to say men are stronger than women, physically, will cause, get on Facebook and just type that. Men are stronger than women, period. Physically stronger than women. And see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> See what happens. Okay. Like seriously. And you know, like the people on your Facebook, your friends and stuff that are going to like lose it or say men are emotionally, men are emotionally stronger than women and see what happens. Okay. Like it's just going to go really, really bad. Okay. Here's the deal guys. And this is why it's so crucial because sometimes men need to be able to tap their hat to each other to speak honoring of their wives, but also be able to say, Hey guys, you married a woman and she's different than you. And her emotionalism is a part of her being a woman. And we need to be able to tip our hat and say, thank you. I love her and she's amazing, but sometimes I'm so confused by her. I don't understand. I have no idea. She, my son has a fever and now she thinks my son has fourth degree cancer. You know, like, why? Okay, like, yeah, tip in the hat. Okay, it's like, what in the world? Like, how do you get there? And I have an amazing wife who is so awesome. But guys, sometimes we need to be able to say, and like to wives, to their husbands, like, 
hey, wives, husbands are different than you. The collision course is because you're not asexual mankind. You're gendered. And God made you that way. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you. Heirs with you. Not just secondary heirs. Our wives, as the weaker vessels, are equal heirs with us. My wife is my sister, and I love her. <laughs> Not actually. You guys know what I mean? My blood-bought sister. Okay, don't put that on the story. My blood-bought sister, who is a co-heir with me. She will be an inheritor of this universe, as am I. She's beloved of the Lord. She is an equal standing with me before God as a forgiven woman, a forgiven part of mankind who can enter into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus Christ. Showing honor to her since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. If we don't live with our wives in an understanding way, recognizing that she's the weaker vessel and, ha- and, and like given freedom to recognize that, to be like, oh, I don't have to expect her to be as strong as me in every area. I don't have to be frustrated with her every time she shows some sort of weakness and I'm thinking, well, I wouldn't respond like that. Look how, I don't have those same questions. I don't have those same doubts because God made me the man. He made me the husband and she is the wife and I cannot expect her to act like me. And when we're given liberty in the scriptures like that, it can give us a whole lot of grace like, oh, I'm to live with her in an understanding way knowing that she's weaker than I am in areas and that's okay. It doesn't mean she's not strong. She's strong in feminine ways and in ways that I'm very, very weak. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Now here's where we're going to end. Do we believe the session title, the authority of the word and the courage of the pastor? Do we believe that all scripture is actually profitable? It's good for people. It's good for people. And the the title, The Manly Pastor, in talking about things like manliness or womanliness, femininity and masculinity. And again, not a peripheral. This is central to what it means to be flesh and bone here. It's central to what it means to be human, male, female. It's central in our churches to be healthy. If you don't have godly men in your home, if you don't have godly men, you're not going to have godly homes. You're not going to have godly churches. You're not going to have godly cities. You're not going to have godly a godly state. You're not going to have a godly nation. But when you have godly men and godly women who know what God has called them to be, specifically, when you have healthy homes, you have healthy churches. And eventually it leads to healthy cities. And because we're all post-millennial here, it ends up making healthy states and healthy nations. Okay? So we have to be able to unapologetically say, All scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped, competent, equipped for every good work. Do we believe it's these things or are we embarrassed and ashamed? I'm going to say it again. Many pastors are terrified of the women in their church. Terrified. Women then will never hear what God actually says to them because it will simply be avoided. And that will be called wisdom. It matters so much because at the heart, because it is at the heart of the image of God. That's why it matters. That's why we're talking about this, what it means to be 
a manly pastor. Guys, these are things that I'm trying to live out. Like Once you get some things in line in your mind, in your head, in your heart, as the scriptures say, the hard part for all of us is practicing what you know to be true, like living this stuff out. So as I say this, I, I have so much to learn from you guys. I've learned so much from you guys. My goodness. I have some of my pastors here, and uh, you know, I've learned so much from Adam, who's going to be planting here next year, and learned so much from like, all you guys. Like friends, I learn from Ryan all the time. I've learned from you guys so much. This isn't like, hey, I've got all this right, but this is the clear scriptures here. Like this is really easy for us to see together. It's profitable. Do we actually believe this or not? Because it's what it means to be human, to be engendered. Okay? We're going to pray and then we're just going to have a kind of a round table or round the fire discussion about this. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. We don't all have to agree. If you're like, man, I, I don't agree. I think that's crazy. That's fine. That doesn't bother me one bit. And uh, we can just talk about it because iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we need wisdom and direction. I pray for this. I, I pray for this session. I pray that it would be helpful, profitable for people uh, here. That these men would be challenged and encouraged. And then, as we think about the next session, pastoring men from the pulpit and in discipleship. So, pastoring them in preaching and in one-on-one -on -one discipleship. And then, when we talk about pastoring women from the pulpit, and then courage for the long haul, in season and out. Uh, God, I just ask that you would continue to prepare our hearts. Help us to be transformed by your word. If this is profitable for the men and women in our church, it's profitable for us. What you have to say is good and right. It doesn't have to be apologized for. So just lead us. I trust that you're going to. Help this discussion as well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.